You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Rachel Getting Married, which came out in 2008 and was directed by Jonathan Demme. It stars Anne Hathaway, Rosemary DeWitt, Bill Irwin, Anna Devere Smith, Tunde Edibimpe, Rosalind Ruff, Sebastian Stan, Mather Zickel, Bo Sia, Inbo Shim, Savar Tawil, and Deborah Winger. The genre would be domestic drama. We are gathered here to celebrate love, pure and simple. Rachel is pure, Sydney is simple. <laughs> You look great. Oh, no, I'm so fat. Stop it. No, you... I would swear to God that you were puking again. No, I can really see rehab has done wonders for you, Kim. Darling, hi. Is your sister behaving herself? Honey, don't smoke. I don't think it's... Can you smoke here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone in the house is looking at me like I'm a sociopath. I mean, what do you expect me to do? Burn the house down? That was a mattress fire. Okay, you know what, fine. You don't get to sit around for the rest of my life deciding what I'm supposed to be like. Are they gonna play all weekend? No, no, no. Boys. Can we all do this together? We are one, all of us. And this is how it is in heaven. And may all of your ups and downs come only in the bedroom. <laughs> The last great movie from one of the best directors of the past 40 years. That's this movie. Jonathan Demme was clearly going for a more Dogma 95 slash Mumblecore feel here, something more raw, but he just can't help who he is, which we see on display during that overindulgent last 30 minutes, including a musical performance by, among many others, his late 80s stalwart sister Carol East, who we saw in Something Wild and previous episode Married to the Mob. And even though that wedding sequence likely goes on for at least 15 minutes too long, I still love every minute of it. Beyond that, Anne Hathaway likely gives a career best performance. In this movie, she plays Kim, a recovering alcoholic slash drug addict who has been granted leave from her recovery center to join the titular wedding of Rachel. Seriously. Why is Emma the maid of honor? Why am I not the maid of honor? What does that mean? Uh, because I wasn't entirely sure when you were coming or if you'd even make it. Well, I wasn't sure if you'd have time for a fitting. Bullshit. It's a sorry. You take a bolt of cloth and you wrap it around yourself a bunch of times. Jesus Christ, I've been home for a day. I can't get a straight answer to this. Oh, what are you talking about? I'm talking about Dad offering me food every two seconds. Oh, no, no, Dad no. offers Irish hunger no, no, strikers food. No, no, no it's not even about the food. He has to know exactly where I am at all times because he's never resolved his own trust issues. That's odd. You know what? Shut the fuck up! All right, blow me. Okay, okay you know what? Fine. Fuck you both. You win. I'm going to get hazmat tattooed across my forehead. God, what that makes heart me? Okay, is being my maid of honor that important to you? Because I didn't think you gave a shit. I'm sorry. Her sister played by Rosemary DeWitt in an equally impressive performance. And they have quite the family, also resulting in quite the wedding weekend. There are family tragedies revisited, brutal arguments, awkward reunions, 
and loads of music, of course. I've always been a sucker for ambling hangout movies like this. Stories where we just follow a few select characters, usually troubled, around for a few days, and gradually we learn a lot about them. Dad, look at me, okay? I am right here, okay? And I am telling you that after Ethan died, I wanted her to get better or just die. Rachel, she's better. And no, no, recovery doesn't work if you lie. She knows that. I am worthless to her. She doesn't give a you shit about the rest of us. Worthless. How dare you? You're my sister. I love you guys. I need you guys, but you don't get to sit around for the rest of my life deciding what I'm supposed to be like. I mean, you weren't there. You weren't inside of my head when I was fucked up. You were certainly not there now. Kim. You haven't gotten like, any idea how I feel. Kimmy took Ethan for granted. There's often very little actual story, and usually some sort of semi-resolution is reached at the end. Not a pet ending, mind you, just that we have shared a distinct experience with them, and have grown to care about them, even though we might not completely like them. And that's certainly the case with Rachel getting married. Though I say, quote, like, because there are much more serious elements moving through this than most other similar films of this type from that same era, like The Anniversary Party, previous episode Francis Ha, and even really previous episode Lost in Translation. There are moments in this movie when shit gets awkward, and then really dark. I lost control of the car and he drove off the bridge and the car went into the lake and I couldn't get him out of his car seat and he drowned and I struggle with God so much because I can't forgive myself and I don't want, really want to right now. I can live with it, but I can't forgive myself. And sometimes I don't want to believe in a God that could forgive me, but I do want to be sober. As to whether you will be completely comfortable juxtaposing those extremely dramatic scenes with absurd moments of quirk, I mean, there's one throwaway moment that has a convenience store clerk just suddenly claiming that she recognizes Kim from the show Cops, and then we never hear about it again. Well, mileage may vary on that. It certainly helps, though, that at this movie's core, Hathaway and DeWitt simply astound, crafting characters who are both very unlikable and yet very sympathetic at different points. Thank you for marrying me. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> He used to work in a diner Never saw a woman look finer I used to order just to watch her float across the floor She grew up in a small town Never put her roots down Daddy always kept moving, so she did too. And that brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. From a musical standpoint, this movie was definitely the director's magnum opus, as Demi himself has always been a music lover, also a longtime director of many a concert film, including, I keep saying this previous episode, but yeah, Talking Heads Stop Making Sense. He directed that. And for this movie, he invited a wide variety of musicians from around the world to basically compose the score live on set, 
resulting in a never-ending wall of sound to accompany most scenes in the movie, taking place at the bride's childhood home, which of course is where the wedding will be as well. And wow, what a lineup of disparate but excellent music. Robin Hitchcock, Fab Five Freddy, Tunde Adebimpe, who also plays the groom-to-be Sydney, and it even ends on a quite lovely note, a violin song being performed by Palestinian musician Zafra Tawil on the lawn of the house, which is heard over the end credits. If I'm being honest, and even though it's filled with quality music, I have to admit, much of the soundtrack is kind of a blur to me. I mean, sorry, it just has the possibly intended effect of sort of blending all together throughout the movie. But if I had to pick one standout, it would be the first of several standout numbers performed during the wedding reception. And this one, a live samba number, with dancers no less, performed by Sao Paulo's own Cyro Baptista Chiari, leading his band known as Cyro Baptista. Okay. It's at this point in the story and the wedding where we get to see the titular Rachel at her most jubilant, astounded by this performing crew marching confidently into the wedding tent. And we also get to see Kim cut loose as well, before seemingly going off on her own, leading to possibly more tension. But the song which was created for this movie is called Samba for Shiva. It's a kick. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved in the film. Now, if there was one other performance which truly stands out alongside Hathaway and DeWitt playing Troubled Sisters, it would be from the legendary Deborah Winger playing their now-divorced mother, Abby. She's in the movie for just a couple of scenes, but they are powerful scenes. Honey, you were sick. That was you know, an illness. You know what I was. I stayed in my room for days. Yeah. I passed out. All the time. No, no. What were you thinking? No. Well, why, why did you leave me? I wasn't there. I didn't leave you. Why would you leave me in charge of him? Because you were good with him. Mom, mom, why would you leave? No, you were a drug addict to watch your son. No, you were good with him. Mom. You were the best you were with him. Listen to me, listen. Well, I didn't expect what? you to kill him, sweetheart. Mom, you are not supposed to kill him. And you look back at Deborah Winger's career, especially during her 80s heyday, she delivered several memorable performances in several memorable movies, including Terms of Endearment, Betrayed, An Officer and a Gentleman, and probably just my personal favorite, Urban Cowboy. Winger ended up being nominated three times for Best Actress by the Academy. She had a couple of notable leading roles in the early 90s in some strong films like Leap of Faith and Shadowlands. And then, poof, she was gone. Oh, right, sorry, she just made the mistake of turning 40. 
Seriously, you look at her IMDb and there is such a drop off after 95, which is in fact the year that she turned 40. A couple of smaller roles on TV here and there, and this, which is probably her most notable role since then. Why? Well, I've been through this before in this category. It's simple. Hollywood has never quite figured out what to do with most notable actresses once they reach a certain age. I mean, there are exceptions. Meryl Streep, Sandra Bullock, maybe Viola Davis too. But yeah, for every one of them, there's a winger, Mastrantonio, Bassett, Spacek, Turner, and Ryan. I'm referring to Meg Ryan, of course. Yeah, they just actually had to kill her character off screen for the Top Gun sequel last year, even though her character actually really does factor into that plot. So yeah, with regards to Deborah Winger, it's just kind of unfortunate. Seeing her as an actress come out of nowhere with this performance in this movie 15 years ago and wondering, where's she been? Well, that's just a very common issue with Hollywood. Maybe it'll change. Post-strike, who knows? The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Okay, wow. In a movie that is just jam-packed with awkward moments, I would like to commemorate the one which folks who've actually seen this movie often cite or remember the most. And that would, of course, be The Toast. Um, relax, it's seltzer. <laughs> Hello. Um, I am Shiva the Destroyer and your Harbinger of Doom for this evening. I would like to thank you all for coming and welcome you even though I haven't seen most of you since my latest stretch in the big house. But you all look fabulous. Yes, it is Kim's toast to her sister at the rehearsal dinner. This is not only an acting showcase for Anne Hathaway, but probably each of the other major players who we are watching react to it. Especially Bill Irwin playing her father. And of course, DeWitt playing the bride being toasted. Um... So during the 20 minutes or so that I was not in the hole for making a shiv out of my toothbrush, I actually did participate in the infamous 12-step program. 12 steps. Step will change. Step will change. I'm still waiting for the change part. Because it is entertaining and so, so tense at the same time. We are on pins and needles here, waiting for the worst to come out, especially when Kim starts citing her 12-step program. Ooh. I did... A lot of apologizing to people, uh, some of whom barely remembered me, most of whom barely remembered anything. And I apologized for, um, you know, like (laughs) bouncing a check or passing out in their bathtub or flooding their house. And, um, you know, just basically for involving them in sordid activities that they were desperately trying to forget. I had, <laughs> I had to call this one girl who was, uh, I think, 14, but... This toast occurs roughly about a half hour into the movie, and it definitely sets the tone for what follows. It almost feels like a roller coaster unto itself, getting very emotional before actually kind of ending on a somewhat gratifying note. So, I would very much like to take this opportunity to um, not only congratulate my extraordinary sister, the future explorer in matters of the mind, thank you very much, and her adorable impending husband on the occasion of their unprecedented nuptials, but also uh, to apologize to said extraordinary sister, future explorer in matters of the mind, uh, for what? I don't know. Everything. (laughs) And I, I really mean that, Rach. You've, I've been a nightmare. You've been a saint. And here's the crazy part I realized re-watching this movie. Care to guess what the duration of this toast scene is? First walking out of this movie when I first saw it, I would have assumed in the 8 to 10 minute range. Nope. It's only three and a half minutes. That's it. 
Yep, as LL Cool J's preacher stated in Deep Blue Sea, time truly is relative. So I am hereby uh, raising my seltzer <laughs> to my laudatory sister and herewith making amends. Sydney, you are robbing our dysfunctional family of one of its most vital ingredients and its only member still willing to lend me money. So, <laughs> boo on you. Anyway, enjoy Hawaii. Lahaya! And now the final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. To truly appreciate this film, it really does help to be a fan of Jonathan Demme, as he has managed sudden tonal shifts in his films before, most famously in Something Wild, when that movie pretty much shifts from being a quirky romantic comedy in the first two thirds to being a stalker thriller in the last. Though I would not say he always succeeds in walking that tonal tightrope here, there is genuine passion in both the filmmaking and especially the performances which carry this through. And as would be expected, Demi's camera brings us to many moments which almost feel voyeuristic, as if we're sometimes peeking in on a dysfunctional family at full tilt. Gratefully, it never feels showy, nor is the viewer ever given a distractingly obstructive view of what's happening on screen. Rachel Getting Married remains a dazzling yet bittersweet reminder of a truly uniquely gifted filmmaker who is no longer with us. The MVP is the late, great Jonathan Demme. She's been running half her life. The chrome and steel she rides colliding with the very air she breathes. The air she breathes. Do we have some rings? <laughs> and my rating for Rachel Getting Married would be four and a quarter stars out of five. Happy 15th anniversary to one of the best family dramas of recent years. Maybe watch it with your family over this Thanksgiving holiday? Mm, well, actually, probably not. Regardless, best wishes for a safe and happy Thanksgiving. And if you're looking to watch Rachel Getting Married, it is available to buy or rent on all major online platforms. And that ends another restorative review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.